Welcome to Account Trends, everybody. I'm Jason Stein with Intuit Accountants. My co-host, David Bernstein, and I are excited to be with you every couple of weeks to share the latest news, interesting perspectives, and hottest trends in the tax and accounting world. We'll have special guests on the show to help break these trends down and give you food for thought as you find new ways to deliver for your clients. But most importantly, we plan on having some fun while doing it. Welcome. All right. Welcome back to Account Trends, everybody. Your host, uh, Jason Stein here. And with me, as always, Mr. Bergstein, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful today. I just want to check up on you. I think today's guest has a dog similar to your dog. What I know. Dog do you, what kind of dog do you have? He surprised me. So we both have a Cavapoo. A Cavapoo is a King Charles Cavalier mixed with Poodle. And it's there's a funny story behind that because I did not want a dog. Like, I don't, I'm not... I like dogs, but I don't want the responsibility of a dog. And my wife and kids worked me for years. And finally, when the pandemic hit, they were like, please, please, can we get a dog? I'm like, all right, we're going to get a dog, but we're going to get a specific breed, not just some random dog. So because I was like, I need the dog to have certain qualities. So I wanted a dog that wasn't going to be barky. It wasn't going to be, you know, shedding a lot. I didn't want a big, huge dog. Um, you know, my wife wanted it to be cuddly and lap doggish. And so then we kind of went and we did, you know, the research and I don't, I, I'm not a super hyper, like I'm not a get out there and go running and stuff kind of guy. I'm not super active. So I didn't want a dog that was going to require that kind of attention either. So we did some research and we landed on the King Charles Cavaliers, like the Royal lap dogs, right? That's where they come from. And then poodles being very smart and hypoallergenic. Not that we had to worry about hypoallergenic, but I just wanted to have a dog that was. Um, so we get the dog beginning of the pandemic, by the way. So she's a COVID puppy is what we call her. Uh, she barks at the slightest sound within a 10 mile distance. <laughs> she's, uh, thankfully she's not destructive anymore, but as a puppy, she was, and, uh, but, and super smart, but sometimes too smart for her own good, which poodles can tend to be. So it's funny. I went and researched breeds that I wanted because I wanted certain qualities and, and it actually turned out that a lot of those qualities I didn't end up getting in my dog, but we love her none the same. I've had a lot of dogs in my lifetime, but now as I'm the millennial in a baby boomer's body, I don't want to be restricted at home. So no pets, just pickleball. But wait a second. I was going to ask. How, did the do- how does the dog get along with all your chickens? They don't interact. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's a really cool question that you asked because when we'd have the, we first got the chickens, you know, they were in like a tote in the garage with us. And so, you know, they would, they were, they needed to be indoors. And so they, the dog was very interested in them, but it was a weird interest. You know, she's like, I don't know if I should eat them or play with them. <laughs> and so you hear about people that have chickens and sometimes, you know, a lot of times they live on property, they have big dogs. And I know we had our contractor, you know, who was working on our renovations would tell us about how once in a while, you know, the chickens would get out and land in the dog, you know, pen and didn't end well for the chicken. So it happens, but we'll leave the chickens alone. Now that we know your dog is the same dog as our guest today, Kane Polakoff. Yes. You know, I think we're going to hear some great things from him because he works for, let's call it a large firm, even though it's not in the top four. Uh, it, it, it's up there. And I think he's he gave, he's going to give us some great insight, I think, on to capacity, staffing, and what's your favorite word? Niches or yes. industries? Verticals. 
So I, I, I think everyone who's going to listen today, they're going to get some practical examples of really, and we didn't talk about advisory services, but he brought out some points that you want to help the client. And it's not about the financial statements. It's like we were talking about the restaurant industry. A restaurant can have a profit, but if you're going to help them succeed, you want to know what's the average ticket, what's the average check. And then you brought out uh, talking to the employees to figure out a way the accountant can say, hey, how do you increase your average check? And you said, bring the employees together, let them figure that out. And that yeah. was a great, exa- great example. I don't want to spoil it too much, but I love the conversation with Kane here where we really get into the practical of how we think about talent and staffing um, from from hiring all the way through to how they execute, what the expectations are. And we touch more on like, why do we keep saying that it doesn't have to be accountants all the time that we're, you know, we're staffing. And, and I use the word accountant loosely because when we think of accountant, it's data data person, you know, doing transactional work. And while that's still going to be needed, um, we really want to think about our talent in our firms in completely different different and new ways in addition to that because of everything we've been talking about around advisory and all the the expectation that clients have of firms uh, now and into the future. So I'm excited. I'm excited too. Are we ready for it? Let's do it. So David, I always introduce our guests. Um, why don't you why don't you take this one? Okay, I'm looking forward to this. I'm gonna do a long introduction. <laughs> uh, t- today we have Kane Polikoff with us. He's the principal client advisory services practice leader for a very large firm, Cone Resnick. Uh, uh, and he's also on the board of the Information Technology Alliance, ITA, which is another great organization that a lot of firms join. In addition, and you probably don't know this, he's on the uh, Intuit Large Firm Advisory Committee, and I think that's QuickBooks mainly, and he's also on the Bill.com Advisory Council. So he is up to date with technology. So Kane, how about telling us a little bit about your background and what you're doing? All right, well, uh, thanks, David and, and Jason. Uh, First of all, I live in the lovely city of Detroit, Michigan. So I don't know if a lot of you have come out and visit. Uh, actually, the weather's been great here. Um, you know, I have uh, just a little bit of background. I've got about 28 ex- years of experience in consulting and accounting work, and specifically CAS. Um, I've uh, had the luxury of being on a BPO business process outsourcing firm as a chief operating officer, have run organizations. And over the last five years, uh, I've been really focusing on uh, client advisory services where I was at a previous large firm where I started the practice from scratch. And uh, recently now, I'm at Cohen Resnick, as you guys indicated, and, and really building out the, the practice, you know, looking at it from a technology perspective as well as people and process. So it's, it's been fun. I've had you know, experience on the sales side, operational, uh, when you look at optimization. Um, so I've had a lot of different experience over my career and happy to share it as much as I can with you guys today. We we, we appreciate that. Uh, Jason, you want to take the first question today? Yeah, yeah, Kane, super excited to have you here with all your experience, you know, consulting and then being a part of, um, you know, uh, Cone Resnick and having that practical experience and dealing with with all the stuff that we talk about on the show that's happening in the accounting profession. And one of those, well, let's, let's dive right into that. You know, like um, one of the things that, you know, I think is on everybody's mind is we keep hearing about the capacity conversation. 
And that's affecting firms of all sizes. So what is what do you think about that whole conversation? What does it really mean? Yeah, and, and that's a that's a great question because capacity, especially over the last four or five years, has has been a, a big challenge for, for a lot of the firms and in, even specifically I've encountered. If you think about COVID and everything that's happened specifically for uh, CAS, the CAS industry and providing outsourced accounting, there's just been a, a tremendous uh, demand for, for our services to the extent that you have to really build the capacity to be able to t- tape on, take on the work. I mean, during the, during the uh, pandemic, there were opportunities left and right where prospects were reaching out to us and asking how we could help them and how we can support them. And in order to do that, you have to have capacity to do that. And it's not just at uh, the high level, it's at all levels. So when you think about it from an associate to a consultant, to a, a manager, senior manager and vice versa. And in really the question is how do you build that capacity and how do you project what your what your your pipeline's going to be or when's going to hit and that's you know that's a tough uh, situation because you you got to figure out the chicken versus the egg do you build a bunch of capacity now and then wait for the work to come or do you have the work come and then you you build your capacity and in most organizations at least 3 4 years ago wanted the work to come in to build that capacity but the hard thing about you know CAS is you know normally when you get an opportunity clients need help like right away you can't wait 3 months or you can't wait five months for that work to come. So you have to really move. Um, what I ended up doing was I built my capacity first. So I, I looked at uh, hiring a bunch of individuals, uh, bring them on board, getting them trained, because it does, in some cases, depending on the technology, can take uh, four to six weeks to get them certified and trained on, on the different technology and the processes that you have. And and what I did is I, which was great, and I recommend that for others was we had you know dedicated recruiters that are working for us internally that were constantly uh, looking at resumes, uh, interviewing. You know, I spent a good portion of my first couple of years at uh, my last firm just interviewing and, and and talking to individuals and and bringing them on. And uh, luckily that worked out because there was such a demand that by the time we brought people on, we we trained them and got them ready. There were work there was already work for them. So that worked out very well. Now, fast forward to where you know where we are today. You know the challenge is how do you generate the demand in the marketplace, and that's not very difficult. Uh, as I see here at Cohen Resnick, we continually um, have opportunities. Most of these opportunities are a lot larger, so we have some clients that we may need to provide ten resources, uh, others five or six. So you really have to build a, a finance and accounting department for our clients per se. So you have to look at controller level down to the associates. So we've kind of taken the same model, um, a little bit different here where you know we have, we've built uh, a very strong leadership group here. So having uh, different verticals. So what we did is we hired based on five different verticals that had that experience at the controllership later uh, level, which was important. And then also built the capacity offshore, um, which uh, from a transaction level to support that, that was a huge benefit and then leveraging you know the technology to automate and standardize across our practice and that made it easier to uh, build our capacity but also allows our capacity to be more flexible to be cross trained or up upskilled uh, depending on what the the opportunities were but we continue to build our capacity and what we're trying to be smarter about is uh, when we want to take on these accounts too because the last thing you want to do is take on an account and you're not prepared to do that so we have discussions during the sales cycle, kind of positioning and looking at scheduling ahead of time 
So by the time a client's ready to move forward with us, we have capacity for that too. Plus, we also built in, you know, when you look at attrition and other ways to build out additional capacity to be able to support that. So that's when I look at capacity, that is, you know, one of the most important factors when you run an operation, which we do, to be able to execute and support our clients going forward. And you're you're talking about capacity, you know, at a, at a you know a high level, but what I'm gathering is, you know, even it's even just capacity to meet essential services like, you know tax prep and, you know, bookkeeping and and that kind of thing, not just capacity to have additional services like advisory, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you look at it, you know, from, from my team, there's, there's really three things that we do. We do the back office accounting work that could be from transaction all the way up to CFO. So there could be cases where a client loses a CFO or controller and we have to jump in and support that as an aspect. The second option could be uh, a client it needs to make a change on the technology side. So they have outdated systems, they're no longer being supported, they have manual processes, and they're looking for a, a tech stack that can help improve. So we have to have resources that have knowledge in the technology that are able to implement the solution and provide that. And, and third, we have the standardization of the documentation. So a lot of our clients do not have SOPs or they don't have any of that in place. So we actually have to have people that are understanding kind of how they're set up and help document, making sure there's a separation of duties, you know, making sure there's efficiencies in place. So, you know, every client's a little bit different, but we have to have capacity in that side. And then also to your point, whether it's tax prep or other services that are complementary to what we provide in our practice, they also need to be able to, to build up and have that capacity to, to support that, Jason. Let me ask a question. You know, we keep using the word capacity. Are accounting firms changing? Is the latest trend in CPA firms to hire non-CPAs to fit different roles uh, to really be the accounting department for any size organization? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of, of course, you want to have the CPAs and the strong accounting background, but I have folks on my team that don't have accounting background. They're very strong relationship managers. Uh, they're very strong in project management. They're very good analytical thinkers. So you, if you think about engineering or if you think of folks like in business, and, and when we talk about advisory, you know, the aspect of, of sending a financial statement is really a deliverable, but it's, it's not just sending a financial statement over the fence and just hoping that the client understands it. But you need to be able to communicate with the client to be able to talk about what it is, look at the historical data, but also looking at projections out with the client and how they can improve their operations. So you know, soft skills, I'll say, is, is such an important piece of, of the puzzle. We can no longer hide uh, you know, in our desks and, and just crunching numbers all day <laughs> because what, what our push is to try to get out there in front of our clients. Now, it's tougher, of course, with as we're all on a video conference right now, but it, you know, back in the day, we used to spend most time in our brick and mortar of our clients and doing that work with them. But now a lot of it's over video conferencing and recordings and things like that. So, you know, I'm it's I think it's important as, as we kind of move in the trend is that clients are expecting a lot more. The financial statement is just checking the box. It's what you do beyond that. And, and you we have to have accountants that love to have interaction with our clients are able to problem solve, but we can also bring in engineers or business majors and, and to be a complement to, to that service as we move forward. So, yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to the training aspect that helps in that case, 
but some of my best employees are folks that don't have accounting degrees today. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, that's what that's what I'm seeing across the board. You still need the CPA and you still need the CPA firm, but we're providing so many services. You're doing everything, but you're really trying to get the higher level service at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, it's almost. I mean, I use the the analogy. We're an extension of their team, but accounting is only one aspect that they ask us questions about. You know, they're asking us about HR and their payroll, and they're having challenges on this or that. And and we have to build an ecosystem, whether it's within our firm that we can support that, or have have individuals or partners that we can work with to provide that solution for our clients. And they're expecting us to be that quarterback to help identify who can help them and insert as things come up and whether it's M&A, you know, when you look at, you know, financial institutions, you look at you know, getting money, um, you know, there's a lot of different things or even looking at strategy, you know, that's becoming even more prevalent as, you know, as they look to potentially consolidate or, or shrink in size, you know, just, there's a lot of questions that our clients ask and they expect of us to either know the answer or quickly come back with a response to that too. And uh, yeah, when you, it's it's funny we talk about full service firm right this this is full service right like you're it's it's not just i'm doing all the accounting services but you're doing all the business consulting services right and just being a one stop shop for literally everything for your clients and their businesses uh from from starting it up to selling it off and everything in between. Yeah, we do a lot of, to the point, we do a lot of startups too. So there's a lot of cases where we're standing up that organization and they have only a small number of individuals and, and the finance and accounting side is one aspect of that. But operationally, you know, we get into many different facets of their business to help support them as if, if they only have a limited amount of employees, we're taking the brunt of doing a lot of that work. As an example, there's a lot of organizations like in Europe, and other parts of the world that are opening up operations and they rely on us to help set them up and help drive strategy for them. So, which is very interesting. And uh, I mean, you think about it from a technology side too, where they're looking for us to kind of evaluate you know, where they are and define what their tech stack's going to be. And it may not just only be accounting <laughs> as well. So it's helping to define how that's going to work, how to implement that and how that's going to provide uh, really a backbone, a backbone uh, for our, our clients going forward. Well, and I would imagine, too, that you're not sitting around waiting for the clients to come ask you for these things, right? These are these are questions that you ask and, and things that you observe and then say, here's what we think you need, right? Yeah, and I think that's the, the change in mindset um, that we're all trying to do in, in our industry. And, it, right. and I think it's instead of waiting for a client to come and say, hey, well, what about this or what about that? What we're trying to educate you know, our staffs and not just at Cohen Resident, but if you look at it, I think it's industry-wide, just from my conversations with other cast leaders, it's how do you ask those right questions and and have those discussions with our with our clients to to pride, right? To kind of ask the certain questions and do a lot of listening. But they're looking for us to become more of the experts. And uh and if we sit around and wait, then we'll find out that uh, you know they're gonna go somewhere else in the long term. So we really need to have those individuals that love to think about that and are able to drive that. They're using the numbers, of course, to help navigate the waters, but you have to be comfortable having a dis, uh, sometimes difficult discussion for clients too. Maybe some things they don't want to hear as an yeah. example. Yeah. It's easy to have a conversation with somebody when it's when things are going great, but if, uh, if you need to help change course or you want to identify something that they may not like, you got to have to be comfortable having those discussions as well, which is 
I think we all know not a very easy to, thing to do. Yeah. yeah what, what I think we're all saying is accountants have to become more advisory in what they do, but they're really becoming business coaches and being proactive with their clients. The compliance work is never going to go away. So we'll always be doing that, but it's all those other services. And I like the word you use. I think of a CPA firm, whether you're a sole practitioner or a large firm like yours, if the CPA firm is the quarterback for that business, they move mm-hmm. them in every right direction. Yeah, no, I, I, and I think that too. I mean, the th- even within our firm, you know, we're a quarterback that's trying to bring the right resources. Not everybody in my practice is a certain expert in certain things. So so we have to go through our organization and help bring the right people onto the calls or having discussions to have. And that's part of, I think, the synergy that a lot of the larger firms are having is how how does advisory kind of work with the compliance side too, or vice versa? How do we bring in the tax group and others depending on the situation that comes up? So that's right. a big area of, of, uh, of bringing awareness within the organization of what type of services that we have. I mean, we have over 4,000 employees in the U.S., how do you make sure you know what, especially if we get into renewable energy or different things like that, there's certain laws and things that you want to make sure we're up to speed on. So we need to bring the right resources in place to support that. And that's why we're building, I'm building my practice based on vertical expertise too. So they understand the nuances and you don't want somebody who has no idea of how to restaurants run to have discussions with a restaurant owner as an example. So we're trying to find those individuals that have that expertise that can have those discussions with our clients going forward. You mentioned five verticals, I think, before. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. You know, what, what are the five verticals that are most popular, I guess? If you're picking verticals, other people are too. Yeah. I mean, I so, you know, there's so many you know, verticals that are out there. I mean, the what I see is real estate. You know, a good majority of our firm is in real estate. So that's a big area of focus. Uh, non for profit you know large non for profit specifically there's a lot of need because uh it's hard for a lot of these organizations to get quality staff and and even look in the technology side uh renewable energy is one of the biggest growing areas uh, i see in the space and there's just a tremendous amount of opportunity there hospitality you look at hotels and restaurants and then we also have what we call trust um so that's another area that for uh, managing money and helping to ensure so those are the five that we have now we're We'll continue to to look at other industries, which we're in in our organization, but we wanted to make sure we had the right leadership within those five industries and that we identify the tech stack that's specific for each of those industries and we're helping you know helping our clients. So that's the focus that i'm I'm putting into play to help support our clients going forward. And it's just a ground on the nomenclature. do you do you see the word vertical and niche as uh, sort of one and the same? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, so you look at a niche market. I mean, if you look at a hospitality, there's niches within hospitality, right? So mm-hmm. you can be specific to a small hotel or a small restaurant. So, I mean, we're looking for larger multi-unit um, restaurants is what we're focusing in and the hospitality using that as an example. So our vertical is hospitality. Our niche may be multi-unit restaurant as an example. So, because you can't, I mean, if you look at renewable energy or if you look at non-for-profits, you've, you've got schools, you've got all these different things. So we're trying to even break down within that vertical, what type of focus that we want to have so that, so we're, we're good at where we're good at. We can't be good at everything. Um, so we want to make sure what we're good at, we can provide the right service to our clients because that goes back to the advisory side. If you don't know what you're talking about, how can you advise your clients? So that's why it's important to have those niches 
and and to have that that industry vertical so that we can support our clients uh, and and help them and and provide the value that they're looking for. You know, I love this topic right here. I want to peel back the layers on it some more because there's I feel like there's two schools of thought that happen as it relates to skills and talent and approaching um, verticals or niches. Um, you know, you ask Jeannie Whitehouse, right? She'll say, you don't need to be an expert in your client's business. Um, but then there's this fear that people have like, well, I don't know this industry very well. Uh, and so how can I, how can I center around this vertical uh, and and have the confidence that I can serve it well? So how do you think about uh, all of that? Now, I'll have to talk to Jeannie again, because I was with her a couple of weeks ago and tell her that she needs to have some kind of vertical expertise. <laughs> but, uh, on, uh, but I mean, it's, it's a good, it, it depends on what level you're looking to go. If you want to be, uh, I just use bookkeeping, just reconciling bank accounts, doing transactions, you know, creating financial statements and, and then sending them out and, and not providing any advice beyond that, you know, that's an, that's agnostic. I mean, I think that, you know, there's still a lot of business out there today where uh, businesses or firms are doing that. But what value do you provide now? There are clients out there that are not even providing, they're getting their only timely and accurate financials. So that's a big plus for them. But what happens when they get timely and accurate financials? They're going to want more than that. So, so I think that, you know, it depends on how far you want to go from an advisory side and what value you want to provide to your clients. And I mean, if you look at accounts payable, accounts receivable, yeah, you could be a horizontal and, and maybe not be an expert in any vertical, uh, but that's on the transactional level. But the advice is, is really becoming at the controllership or the CFO level. Mm-hmm. And those individuals need to be able to understand what's, what the numbers really mean. And I think you do need to have uh, a vertical expertise or having ex- experience, I'll say, in, in those areas if you want to provide great value. It, it's just the next level. I mean, you can probably get by if you're agnostic, but I, I think that individuals uh, and companies are going to get smarter. They're going to want to do business with firms that have specific knowledge in certain areas. And I think that's where the trend is is moving towards. Being a generalist, you can get away with that, but what value would you be able to provide and what are you going to be able to charge for that? So that's what I guess I would challenge you know, Jeannie and others if they say, hey, I, you can only be agnostic. But that's why I'm being very focused on when I was in my past firm, I was being more generic. And we were able to do the blocking and tackling, but to do it the next level, we had to bring individuals in that had that expertise. I'd agree with you 100% there that you have to be knowledgeable. Your client knows how to run a business because they started it and have a passion for it, but you need the expertise to help them with all the fine points. I defer to you, Jason. I know you were about to say something. Yeah, well, I was going to just clarify, you know, like, also, this and we're—I didn't mean to like beat up on Jeannie because I love I love oh, her. She's dad. wonderful, she's um, <laughs> and she gets pushback when she makes that statement, and and it's always interesting to see the conversation play out. Um, but you know, she's also coming from a, a you know a firm that specializes in wineries, right, and vineyards, yep. and so you know there is a level of of expertise that you're gonna you're gonna have when you choose a vertical, but everything that you just said lines up with the studies that we've done as well at Intuit. Um, As we look at, you know, firms that are leading in the industry, those that we don't see generalist firms achieving the levels of success that that firms that that focus on verticals and niches um, do because of exactly everything you just said. 
And so, you know, I always encourage firms, you know, like you don't have to, you don't have to have niches, you don't have to have verticals. And by the way, don't pick just one and focus only on that. That's dangerous. Um, as we saw with COVID, right? You focus on the hospitality industry yeah, and the pandemic sure. hits, you know, your entire client base is in trouble. So you need to have, a, you know, a few verticals, but you got to start somewhere also. Um, and a lot of firms that are out there today, you know, especially among the smallers, are generalist firms and have been for years. And so, um, you know, I think it's it's hard. And then, then the whole confidence thing plays a factor, right? So, so I was going to ask you about skills as it relates to hiring. So, do you? How do you? How do you go about attracting the talent that you need in this space? Do you go pull from, because we already talked about you, how you don't necessarily like just focus on people who have accounting backgrounds, right? Uh, case in point, these people might come actually from those industries. Is that an accurate statement? And how do you yeah. go about looking for that talent? Do you look for that knowledge already or do you bring, do you look for the skills that you're looking for and then get help them get educated on the verticals. So so it's both. So I'll give you an example in the renewable energy space, which there's a lot of with tax equity and different types of nomenclature that you have to have skills on. What we did is we looked in, in, in the industry itself and we were able to identify a controller slash CFO that had five years of experience. And she also was in public accounting beforehand. I mean, that's the purple, the purpose, uh, that's the, the perfect situation where you're able to bring somebody in that already knows how a public accounting firm works, but also has that expertise in renewable energy. That would be you know, one example. Um, the other end would be if you find individuals that are very analytical and very quick in, in, in learning that you know maybe you don't bring them in at that CFO or controller level, you bring them in as a senior or a lower level, and they're able to grow into by working with that individual that we hired that already had that expertise to get that knowledge. But I, I think you have to have leaders in each of those verticals that have that knowledge, and their their responsibility is to train, support, and 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 give the guidance. So you have to have that foundation in place, I think, in order to be successful. Yep, that makes sense. Um, cool. I'm trying to think about like how is there anything else we need to unpack here, David, around staffing. Well, I, I think he, Kane is hitting it on the head that you're going to hire from wherever at this point in time. They don't need to be a CPA. They don't need to be account, an accountant. Even with the renewable energy that you're talking about, you're hiring people that know the business, but not necessarily accounting because they're doing consulting and coaching. You know, I, I would tend to think at this point when someone's doing the accounting, they're doing the accounting transactional. You want people on a higher level to sell more value. That's which correct. Is they understand the numbers and they've been working in the industry. So they know the ins and outs of what I'll call it the right metrics to, yeah. to look at. Yeah. I mean, when, when everybody talks about key performance indicators and analytics and you, you hear those words that are thrown around all the time, KPIs, and but most people don't know really what they are. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that that's where you hire those individuals that have that knowledge that can create what's, what are the success factors I call them? That are going to help make this organization successful and how are we going to measure against that so having that person that has a renewable energy or if you're looking at a restaurant you know, food costs and you know, labor and all that you need to have individuals that know how, know what to look at and how to articulate that 
Yeah, doing the transactions, you, you can hire you know, the seniors and the associates that are taking care of all the transactions and in the weeds, but you need those individuals that are outside those weeds looking ahead and helping to project what the future will be. I mean, I think people call accountants historians. That's one aspect, but I like to say is we're helping to project what the future will be or provide substantial evidence for, for an organization to make a decision on which way they want to go. And I think that's important. And I think organizations are expecting more than that. Not only the large organizations, but even the small mom and pops too are Mm -hmm. looking for more of that sophistication. And I think that by being that specific, you know, by, by leveraging all this technology that's out there, which is great, but if you don't use that technology in the right way, it doesn't mean anything. So I think that especially in the last two or three years, there's been a lot of push with FP&A and you hear about all that, you hear about you know the AI and you hear about all the great stuff, which is great. But now we need to figure out how to scale that to be able to provide that information so that we can share that with our clients and help advise them on what they need to do. I agree. I'll give you one, one example you probably use. I like to throw it out. It's like, uh, you know, the restaurant's making a profit and they're happy. But when you ask them how often the tables turn over each night, they don't know. If they yeah. knew that answer, they could probably increase their profitability. So yeah, I, I mean, that- yeah. And, and then you get into the HR side of that payroll and, and all the information, the data. So, you know, we like to say it's not about only the financial information, but it's the operational and the supporting information that comes combined to provide that that story, right? The, the, the comprehensive information. So, you know, average check, you know, per person, you talk about timing, seasonality, you talk about a lot of different things. So it's to be able to leverage that data and make sense. So I know that you know a lot of folks are creating those data warehouses and there's a lot of great things that are out there, but I still think we're only at the very beginning of, of understanding how to leverage that yeah. just because of all of us are so busy to keep up with just providing the, the standard, right? The standard accounting that needs to be done. That's a big enough challenge that it is. But I think once we really get to that point, that's where I see the next two to five years. It's really the data itself and how we use the data and how we share it with our clients. They don't want to see a 50-page report. They want a two or three-page you know, dashboard online they can go to and they can run some conditional ifs or elses and to be able to see what that really means. That's what they want. And some of them don't even care as much about the financial statements anymore. They want to see what the data is and how, that, what, how meaningful that is to them. So that I think there's going to be a shift and we need to be prepared as an industry to be able to support that information going forward. Well, I think David and I would argue that that ship has been at play for quite some time. We just are finally listening. Yeah, right? well, I, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that shift is happening. But the thing is, is most people use that as part of a sales process, but not as part of execution. So mm-hmm. that's that would be my response. I think everybody talks about it and everybody wishes they have it. But when you look under the hood, most people don't. Right. And if they do, they, they don't know how to use it. So I think that's a it's an area that we all need to get better at. And even including us is how do we leverage that data? And that's a big part of my strategy is how do we how do we create that data at our finger, fingertips that we can then share with our clients and, and scale that? I mean, if you have a thousand clients, how do you do that every month or every quarter to be able to support them? That's going to be the challenge that we all need to figure out. And, and it may not only be CPAs and accountants doing that, they're data analysts, you get into a lot of different things or even computer engineers. You know, there's a lot of uh, skills out there that we can leverage to help provide that to our clients. It's interesting. I've seen in my 25-year career in this profession, I've seen more firms, tax and accounting firms, 
literally building products and hiring you know software engineers mm-hmm. to to build out this stuff is that the same at, at your firm as well yeah i mean i think it's a big part of uh, we have a tech plus group that's uh, you know very big into technology and and data analysis and all that so that's a big part of our strategy and i think even the tech stack within CAS, right, in the last five to 10 years is now being standardized even more. So I think that it's going to be, it's here to your point, it's here and we need to figure out how do we deliver that and how do we deliver it efficiently. And I think that's where we're at too in our in our, our journey. We still got a ways to go, but we do have clients that we provide that information. I mean, they love the dashboards, but it a lot of it to be able to make the data work is 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 still the challenge out there. How do you you know it's garbage in, garbage out? They always say, but how do you take that data, the source of truth, and to be able to make sense of that and then provide that to our clients? And I think that's an area that we're still it's still evolving in the industry today. So, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and now we're really getting to the challenges, right? So, do you have more examples that come to mind where you know this plays this plays out? Like, how do you and I'm thinking about the listeners who are like, I don't, I don't know how, what questions to ask, like the the restaurant example, right? Many people wouldn't think to ask a question like that. So how do we help people get to a place where they do know those questions to ask? And then they've got dashboards that they can put up, you know, put together and scale that help answer those things and tie to the right KPIs that get to that outcome that the client is looking for. Well, I mean, outside of, of Cohen Resnick, I mean, there's a lot of great organizations that, you know, that provide, I can name a bunch of them that help provide even guidance and training in some of that. So I think you know, one aspect is getting folks trained and and it's almost from a business case perspective as, as being a business owner, how do you have that same mindset to ask those same questions to your client? So I think having, um, when you look at learning and development, that's becoming such a big a piece of of what all organizations are making investments in, including Cohen Resnick, that how do you train your staff, whether it's through you know WebExes or taking online courses or even going to school. So there's different ways to be able to do that. But I think also the consulting arm, if you look at the Accentures and others that are out there, the type of questions they ask and the intuitive are, are things that we as public accounting, I mean, I came from Accenture. So asking those same types of questions you have to teach people how to do that. And I think by having people listen and be part of meetings and that, and asking those questions, it's almost like there's a grassroots uh, way of doing it too. So you have all that training that you can provide, but some of it just takes experience also. Mm-hmm. And and I think by you know, looking at some of the, the large account uh, consulting firms and potentially bringing in some of those folks can help to, to provide some of that guidance and support too. And so that allows people to think a little bit differently. And I think that's what we need to challenge ourselves to be able to look outside the box more instead of being so finite of what we're trying to achieve so that we can provide that that right value to our clients. Yeah, and I, I, there's a, a part of that that you said that that stuck out for me around, you know, just getting the experience, right? Um, I, would, I would imagine that you don't have an expectation of your, your staff as it relates to this topic area that they're going to nail it right out of the gate. Yeah. So we have a, like, we have a training summit that's coming up. We're having all of our teams spending three days in Denver uh, to go through training. And, and part of that will be on discussions with on advisory and how we communicate and doing role playing and, and business cases. So I think it's, yeah, I'm not expecting my, my team on day one to be able to knock it out of the park. So it's uh 
I think it's it's bringing awareness and it's it's having them sit in calls and and to start getting comfortable with that process and how to think a little bit differently and and how to how to think like our clients think. So I think you know it's you got to start from somewhere, but if you put a focus on it and talk about it, that's a starting point. But uh, you know I think that as we look to hire, going back to your our discussion on hiring, you want to look for folks that you think would be a good fit that are comfortable in those environments. Not everybody will be, right? Some people will prefer to to just do the work, and that's you know that's fine in most cases. But you have to find the ones that are willing to have those discussions and sit in front of a CEO and. And to be able to feel comfortable communicating strategy and, and discussions with them too. I think that that's the key. You use the key word there, discussing strategy, looking forward, not looking back at past transactions. Right. How, how do you make it better? And that's where the expertise comes in. If someone's in an industry, they know to look at, you mentioned the word average check. How do you up the average check? You know, even a dollar or two per check, that changes the name of the game. Accountants have to think differently. And you, you, you pointed it out with some of those KPI questions you're asking. Well, and just to build on that for a second, too, came before uh, we hand back over to you. That's, that's, the, that's the part, too, about we talked about, like, how, how well do you have to know your business, right? Like, quarterbacking is different from having all the answers. So staying with your average check example, David, which is perfect. You, you can identify that increasing the average check by X dollars will get us to this KPI out, you know, and then ultimately lead to the outcome. But you don't have to know how exactly they're going to get there. That could just be a matter of pulling in their team and having a brainstorm session and trying some testing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think they always talk about the as is and the to be processes. And, and, and there's a, a methodology that you need to put in place to be able to set up those working sessions and different things like that, which I've learned early on in my career. So that's, you know, that's definitely, uh, if you look at, that is important for all of us is to be able to know what that structure is and how do you, how do you do the right due diligence? How do you ask those questions and, and what is that framework? And I, and I think that's an area when you look at the big four as an example, they have their consulting arm that works with their accounting arm and they help put together strategies. So, you know, we're, we're not that size. But to have them, you know, maybe not to be, to have that same kind of thought processes, I think is what I'm saying, having that methodology in place so that if, if you, if a client says, well, how do I, how can you help me out? Well, let's, let's go and, and do an onsite. Let's do an as is process. Let's, let's create a process flow. Let's determine what the control points are, what the challenges are. And then let's, at the end, let's create a to be process where we can look at people processing technology and see how we can implement that for you. So, I mean, there's methodology, you, you hear about Lean Six Sigma and all those things that are out there. There's a lot of yeah. ways that organizations can embrace that, which changes the game instead of, you have to have that in place in order to be successful is my point, so. Right, perfect. Yeah, what a great, I, I think that's a perfect place to end the episode. I think we've come full circle. Um, really, really good discussion, Kane. Pr- appreciate your your insights, um, you know, both from from working in the firm and doing the day to day pipeline of talent and how we think about skills. Just excellent conversation. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. Well, that's all we have for today. Kane, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, everybody. And until next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to learn more about any of the topics discussed on the show, visit intuitaccountants.com forward slash podcast. 
Account Trends is produced and edited by Luke Johnston. Copyright Intuit 2023.